I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 35. And I'm really, really glad that we uh, get to do Genesis chapter 35 today during Advent. We're actually finishing one of the subsections of Genesis that had begun in Genesis 25:19 with the words, these are the generations of Isaac. And this subsection concludes at the end of chapter 35 with the, the death and, and burial of Isaac. And uh, as I hope you'll see, it's a, this is a very fitting uh, passage for the Advent season. So let me go ahead and read uh, Genesis uh, chapter 35, all 29 verses. Holy Scripture says... God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alon Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then Jacob, I'm sorry, then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent 
beyond the Tower of Ader. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. This is the word of God, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, all of our hearts, would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I've titled this uh, sermon, Unwavering Grace for Weary Pilgrims. Are you a, are you a weary pilgrim? The, 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 the whole, the whole uh, Christian life is presented as a pilgrimage through the, the suffering of this life to the, the glory that God has promised to his people, many trials and difficulties and so much endurance and perseverance is required. We, we have to battle with our own sin. We have to deal with other people's sin. We may face great suffering or injustice. And, and of course, the whole world in this fallen world, ever since Adam took that first step into rebellion, the, the whole world is, is characterized by, by sin and death, heartache. You or your loved one, sooner or later, is, is, is heading towards the valley of the shadow of death. That comes right out of this, this passage. It's, it, it's interesting, uh, of course, J- J- Jacob, Jacob is, a, is a weary pilgrim, and I'll talk about Jacob in just a moment. But just a, a very simple way of, of understanding uh, how chapter 35 was put together you, you, have, you have the movement toward and then into Bethel in verses 1 through 8, and that's punctuated by the death of Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. And then, you, and then you have the movement away from Bethel toward Bethlehem and then Hebron in verses 16 to 29, and that's punctuated by two deaths and burials, this, this, this valley of the shadow of death just dominates the, the, the scene and the, the picture and the backdrop of this sermon. And yet, and yet, right in the middle of the passage, the Holy Spirit decided to linger on Jacob's experience at Bethel, his, his second experience at Bethel, where God reveals himself to Jacob a, a second time and where Jacob has this beautiful moment of, of worship and then, 
And then you have these two pillars, right? You, you, have, you have the pillar of stone uh, deployed in an act of worship to the living God in, in gratitude to his grace in response to his word. And then, and then just a few verses later, you have another pillar, a pillar uh, uh, over Rachel's tomb signifying the, the heartache, the loss, the grief, and the death that accompanies this present, this present life. So you can just see how these themes come together, Un, unwavering grace, God, God's, God's gracious promises and presence for a weary people, for weary pilgrims who are going through this, this valley of tears. I want to walk through this passage in three parts. Uh, first of all, in terms of verses 1 through 8, God calls his weary pilgrims to worship him. And just think about Jacob's weariness. And by the way, just in terms of the, the, the time frame here, ever, ever since... Uh, the Lord told Jacob to depart from Haran at the beginning of chapter 31. So from, from the beginning of chapter 31 until the end of chapter 35 covers a span of 23 years. And we don't know exactly how long Jacob spent in various places. You know, he had that altercation with Laban before you know, before he before he arrived in the land of Canaan, he, he he had a had a meet Esau, and then he you know he spent some time in Succoth in chapter thirty three verse verse uh, seventeen, and then he settled down and spent some time in Shechem. And we know that just coming out of chapter thirty four, Jacob would not only have been wearied by all the the, the travels. The exile, the the con, you know the conflict with Esau, then then the conflict with Laban, but then at the end of chapter thirty-four, Jacob was troubled by the the, the vindictive violence of his of his two sons Simeon and Levi, and 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 then and then the. The pilgrimage continues through this chapter. You know, he, he's God calls him from from Shechem down to Bethel, about a, about a about 20 miles, and then eventually goes to Bethlehem, 15 miles more to the south, and then eventually goes to Hebron, 15, mile, 15 miles more to the south. There's this, there's this movement, and there's this sorrow and death. And so uh, Jacob is a weary pilgrim, and yet God calls his weary pilgrims, God calls Jacob to worship him. Of course, he, he always calls us to worship him, but there's something very particular and important about this particular summons to worship because God, uh, God had appeared to Jacob at Bethel more than 20 years earlier and made him promises, right? And God kept those promises and had brought him into the promised land. And, and it's as if this, this summons back to Bethel kind of, it brings things full circle for Jacob's life. I want you to notice just some of, the, some of the details of this summons to worship. First, the summons itself. In verse 1, arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there. It's a, it's a call to worship. And 
think, think, of course, Bethel is a specific geographic place, but in terms of its deeper significance, what, what does Bethel mean? House of God. God, God. God always says to his people, arise and go to my house and worship me there. When we, when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we learn that believers in Jesus Christ are God's house. We're being built up as a, as, a, as a spiritual house, as a spiritual temple, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, called to offer sacrifices of, of praise to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're, we're, we're called to do this in this weary and, and painful and trial-laden world. We're called to step aside and come together and lift up the name of the Lord. Notice also still in verse 1, the, the basis of worship. Now, God is always worthy of our worship. If he appeared to us very, for the very first time and we, 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 we knew nothing about him or had no experience with him, he would be worthy of our worship. And yet here, more than 20 years after the promises that God made to him at Bethel, the, the, the basis of worship becomes God's, God's faithfulness. God's character. Look at what he calls attention to. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. And that's like a a window into remembering what happened when Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau. God showed up and told him, I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you go. And that's exactly what God did. He, he, he watched over and he accompanied Jacob every step of the way. He gave him favor when he was in Haran. He, 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 he overruled Laban's evil designs. He prospered Jacob. He, he gave, gave Jacob peace with his brother Esau as they reconciled just a couple chapters earlier. And, and, and Jacob, Jacob knew and was able to testify of God's faithfulness, right? In verse 3, he refers to the God who answers me in the day of my distress. It's life. Distress. We have a God who hears and answers prayer. And, and Jacob says that he, he has been with me wherever I have gone. That's, a, that's, that's, that's Jacob's yes and amen to the very specific promise that God had made. I will be with you and I will keep you wherever you go. Chapter 28, verse 15. And now Jacob says, he has been, he's been with me wherever I've gone. And so, so the, the, as, as we walk with God, as we experience his faithfulness and his steadfast love and his mercy and his provision, all of that, it builds up more and more reasons to worship him. Moving to, to verses 2 to 4, we see the prerequisite for worship. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. This is in preparation for going to Bethel and building the altar and worshiping the name of the Lord. We know, we know from the Ten Commandments, right? The very first one, you shall have no other gods before me. We're to, we're to put away idols be physical objects, like statues, 
or icons, or it could be it could be the objects of our imagination, false ideologies, false belief systems. Of course, ultimately, our 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 sin and our our tendency to put our trust in ourselves, to do life our own way, to to follow after the counsels of our own heart instead of submitting ourselves to the Lord. And remember, what Jacob is saying here is really the, the Holy Spirit puts it in here to commend it to us because it's establishing a pattern. Remember how Moses counseled the children of Israel before they met God at Mount Sinai. You know, in Exodus chapter 19, they were called to consecrate themselves, even to, purify, to change their clothing, to purify their clothing, to make themselves ready to meet with the Lord God. In Joshua chapter 24, Joshua tells a people who had experienced boatloads of God's faithfulness and steadfast love on their behalf. He tells them, put away your foreign gods and serve the Lord only. And of course, at the end of his first letter, the, the Apostle John says to believers, little children, keep yourselves from idols. We, 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 we would all do well to, to think in terms of our own life, is there, is there something I'm holding on to, some false confidence, some faulty belief system, some superstition, some pattern of sin, some refusal to honor God in his way? Is there something I'm holding on to that I need to lay it down in order to worship God, hear his word? And follow him. So, so the, the 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 people the people respond. They they give uh, they give these these objects these worship these these objects of worship these false objects of worship to Jacob, and he he buries them. And then we go to verse five, where we see the the journey to worship. And while they are journeying to the place of worship, to the house of God, to Bethel, God protects them. You know, they're in a vulnerable situation, being a small band in a foreign land, and yet it says in verse 5 that a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. In the most fundamental sense, the safest place to be, the only safe place to be, is right where God wants you, on the path of obedience. Now here, here, the Israelites enjoy temporal, physical protection as they're going to the place of worship. God, God doesn't always choose to grant us temporal and physical protection. Sometimes, sometimes God's people are persecuted or attacked or, or even martyred, but even then we understand that when we are following the Lord on the path of obedience, when we're heeding his summons to worship him, we are kept spiritually and eternally safe, which, of course, is even better than temporary physical protection. Eventually, uh, Jacob and his company, uh, by the way, his company would have included not only his family and household servants, but also the, the, the women and young children that they had recently acquired uh, at, at, at the massacre of Shechem. So he's got this, this whole traveling band. They come to Bethel, and then in verse 7, there's the act of worship. 
There he built an altar and called the place El Bethel. El Bethel, God of Bethel. What does Bethel mean? House of God. God of the house of God. God of God's house. God is here. Jacob recognizes. And notice, Jacob recognizes that God is here on the basis of what God had revealed to him over 20 years earlier and the faithfulness of God over those 20 plus years. God hasn't revealed himself to Jacob a second time yet. That's, that's coming. But here, in response to God's instruction, go and worship me. In response to God's past revelation and God's faithfulness from year to year, Jacob offers up worship to the one true and living God. And then there's this very odd detail in verse 8, and I'm calling this the the real-world context of worship. We, we, we'd like to just kind of remain in this ethereal and idealistic uh, worship environment all the days of our lives, and that's not, that's not reality. And so we, we get this news of a death and burial. It says, in Deborah, Rebecca's nurse. Now, Rebecca was Jacob's mother. Presum- presumably, Rebecca had already passed away. And so uh, Jacob probably had known Deborah, must have known Deborah for a very long time. Perhaps they had a, a special bond as, as Deborah was an assistant to his mother. And somehow, we don't know how, somehow Deborah ended up in Jacob's company. And she dies. And it's just, it's just interesting. Just, just think about this side by side. El Bethel. Jacob called the place El Bethel, God of God's house, and then side by side with, so he called its name Alon Bakuth, Oak of Weeping. Place of worship, place of weeping. It's life. I, just, I, 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 I love the realism of the Bible. It's just you, 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 you leave, hopefully, hopefully you're encouraged and blessed today, and you leave this place, and you got real life staring you in the face. Sometimes it's really painful. Sometimes there's the death and burial of loved ones. Bible keeps us grounded in reality. God calls his weary pilgrims to worship him. Let's move to the second section in verses 9 to 15. God's promises inspire his weary pilgrims to worship him. You know, a lot of our a lot of our a, a lot of what the Bible calls us to do is to remember. You know, we 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 have to honor the work that God has done on our behalf in the past, but we also need fresh experiences of God's grace. And so Jacob was able to worship God on the basis of what God had done for him in the past and the promises that God had made. But now God shows up a second time, appearing to Jacob again at Bethel in order to reaffirm and reinforce the promises that he had already made to Jacob. There's there's very little new ground that's explored here. It's just that we need 
reminders. 20 plus years is a long time. It's a long time to forget. We can forget stuff in a week. That's why we need weekly worship, weekly reminders, weekly encouragements. 20 plus years? At least some, some of this. Uh, some of it was a few years earlier when God had re- revealed himself to Jacob at Peniel. Okay? So, so notice, uh, God had, had blessed Jacob at Peniel a few years earlier, and here in verse 9 it says, God blessed him. Jacob had failed in the past. God blessed him. Jacob had suffered adversity in the past from the Labans of the world. God blessed him. Jacob's own sons, just from the previous chapter, had troubled him. God blessed him. We we have to have the vertical connection as our primary connection because there's going to be a lot of turbulence out here in the, in the circumstances, in the horizontal relationships. We need God blessed him. God blesses us in Christ. And then, and then remember at Peniel, a few years earlier, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. That's reaffirmed here in verse 10, right? Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And then it continues. God identifies himself. I am God Almighty. El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. It's interesting. There's a a biblical pattern of blessing and the command to be fruitful and multiply, right? Genesis 128. God blessed Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 9-1, God blessed Noah and Noah's sons, be fruitful and multiply. The, the children are a, the fruit and sign of God's blessing. God blessed them, be fruitful and multiply. Now you have, you have to admit it's a little bit humorous, isn't it? For God to tell a hundred-year-old man, give or take, who already has 11 sons and at least one daughter, <laughs> to be fruitful and multiply. He had been there and done that. He's got a, he's got a, he's got a, he's got a large household. But don't stop now. Keep on. And, 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 and of course, it sets us up for, he does. Because Benjamin is coming. Right? And then and then there's four four promises. Promise number one, there in the middle of verse eleven, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Jacob will be the father not only of Israel, but of a of a multi nation federation. We don't know all the details, but that's the promise. And then the second promise, kings shall come from your own body, the kings, of, the kings of Judah, the kings of Israel, and of course, ultimately, the Messiah king will come from Jacob. The land, verse 12, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. Jacob is the recipient, the promised recipient of the land. And then fourthly, his offspring are the recipients of the promised 
land. By the way, you think about this. uh, I love the uh, simplicity of the big picture. I think it's the big picture story Bible by David Helm, who was actually our instructor at the Charles Simeon Trust workshop on biblical exposition. But he wrote this wonderful storybook Bible. And he captures this theme that runs throughout the whole Bible, which is that God's plan is to get his people in his place under his king. And you see all of that right here. Jacob's right, at the, Jacob's right, in, this, right in the middle of it. But God, God wants to get his people into his place under his king. That's, that's the message of the whole Bible. And God has brought Jacob after his ancestors, Abraham and Isaac. He's brought Jacob right into the, the thick of that plan. Uh, Jacob responds to that revelation with worship. And by the way, worship has been very helpfully described as revelation and response. Revelation and response. We can't just, we can't just like gen- self-generate or muster up worship. Like I'm going to worship. We, we, we need revelation. We, we, need, we need the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to be ministering to us, impacting us, thereby opening up our heart and mind to offer fitting responses of worship. And so what Jacob does here is very reminiscent of what he did at Bethel 20 plus years earlier. He set up a pillar, a stone pillar, he poured out a drink offering, poured oil on it, and called the name of the place Bethel. It's kind of interesting, right? He, he'd called the name of the place Bethel earlier. Well, he's, he's, God was reaffirming his promises to Jacob, and Jacob is reaffirming the place name. Yeah, this really is Bethel. This really is God's house. God has really met with me here in the place where he told me he would. And, 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 and notice, notice how God's words are shaping Jacob's worship, right? God blessed him, verse 9. God said to him, verse 10. God said to him, verse 11. And notice how this, 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 this phrase is repeated three times. Then in verse 13, then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. Verse 14, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him. And then verse 15, so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. God's words, God's revelation, shaping our hearts and minds and equipping us and fitting us for worship. So God's promises inspire his weary pilgrims to worship him. And we'll come back to this uh, at the end. Moving to verses 16 to 29, God's weary pilgrims must endure many heartaches while they wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. Again, you see this, you see from verse 7 to verse 8, you have worship, God's house, and then oak of weeping, and then, and then in verses 9 and 15, you have this climactic moment of worship. It's good for us to be here. You know, Peter, James, and John, I think Peter said that. Good for us to be here with you on the Mount of Transfiguration. But no, you've got to get back to ordinary life, and it's hard. 
You've got to let God's grace and his faithfulness and his promises carry you through. So you see there's a number of heartaches here. Um, In verses 16 to 20, you have the heartache of Rachel's death. Rachel was Jacob's beloved wife. And evidently, obviously she she was pregnant with child and they were journeying from Bethel toward Uh, toward Bethlehem, about 15 miles to the south, and somewhere in between, Rachel went into hard labor, very hard labor, and ultimately she she died. And and it's interesting, um, the the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. Isn't Isn't that interesting? She's really hard labor, she's barely hanging on, her soul's departing, she's dying, and she has this word, do not fear, for you have another son. That is uh, a very significant encouragement because it echoes what Rachel herself had said when she gave birth to Joseph. It says in Genesis chapter 30, verse 24, this was after Rachel gave birth to Joseph, And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. May the Lord add to me another son. And years went by. And finally, the Lord added to Rachel another son. He answered the prayer and desire of her heart. What what an encouraging way. meet death. Do not fear. God has heard and answered your prayer. You have another son. She called his name Ben-Onai, son of my sorrow. Jacob overruled and named him Benjamin, son of the right hand. It's just, again, these contrasts. Son of my sorrow, heartache, son of the right hand, honor, esteem, privilege, the hope of what will be accomplished through this this boy. And then, of course, uh, Jacob uh, builds another, he builds a pillar over her tomb, verse 20, memory of his dear wife. So after this heartache, then uh, Israel journeys on. It says that he pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Ader. That uh, quite possibly is, probably is in the greater Bethlehem area between, between Bethel and Hebron, which is where Jacob's going to get to eventually. But, it, but Israel, Jacob, settles down into the greater Bethlehem area. And then uh, uh, the second heartache is that his oldest son, commits a grievous sin, adultery, with his concubine, with Jacob's concubine. And, and you know, it's interesting, in the, in the law, which wasn't given yet, in the law, this, this, this particular sin, uh, the, the ca- uh, death penalty was, was prescribed for this particular sin. Israel heard of it, didn't do anything about it in the moment, but when, when Jacob 
gave those blessings to his sons at the end of the book of Genesis, Reuben's preeminent firstborn status was removed from him on account of this sin. And just, just think about the, Jacob's heartache. His secondborn and thirdborn, Simeon and Levi, had brought great trouble upon him and grief upon, upon him at the, at the end of chapter 34. And now his eldest brings great grief upon him. Then you come to verses 22 to 26, uh, where uh, all, of, all of the sons of Jacob, Jacob's dozen sons, are mentioned. Um, this is the fruit and sign of God's blessing. This is the, the covenant family that God has brought up through Jacob, that God is going to fulfill his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to fulfill them through this band of brothers. And that's very encouraging in one sense, but at the same time, we know that, wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of immaturity. There's a lot of problems in this covenant family. And we, again, we should be encouraged by that, that God works with his deeply flawed people in order to carry out his promises. But by, by the way, it says that uh, the, at the end of verse 26, these were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padanaram. Obviously, you, you'd want to put a, like a footnote and say, well, except, of course, for Benjamin. But of course, the author had, had just told us that. We, we know Benjamin was born in the land of Canaan. Uh, as, as a few verses later indicate. But this is just a summary statement. The other sons were born in Padan Aram. Finally, we come to a, a third heartache at the end of the chapter. After being apart for many years, Jacob finally reunites with his father Isaac in Mamre or in Hebron, which is about 15 miles to the south of Bethlehem. I don't know exactly when they reunited or, or how old Jacob was when when he reunited with his father, but in due course, his father, who had lived a, a very full life as, uh, as, a, as a covenant son, he died, and Esau and Jacob, who had been reconciled in chapter 33, were able to work together to bury their father. One, one, more, uh, one more heartache that I want to mention is... Uh, you have, to, you have to do some timeline work, but, but the reality is, is that when you do the timeline work, you realize that Joseph was actually sold into slavery about 12 years before Isaac died. So, so that, 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 that heartache is actually right in the, in the, in the, in the midst of all this, okay? So j just, are you getting the picture? You, 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 have, you have Jacob. He had a flea from his brother Esau more than 20 years earlier at the, big, at the beginning of the chapter, coming off of being troubled by his, the actions of his secondborn and thirdborn sons. He had known distress, verse 3. He had to bury his mother's nurse. He had to bury his dear wife. He had to bury his influential father. He referred to God as the fear of Isaac. He also had the, the heartache of his, of his son selling his beloved Joseph, the son of Rachel, into slavery. Interestingly enough, of course, Jacob didn't know that that's what had happened. Jacob thought Joseph was dead. 
Little did Jacob know that very shortly after Isaac died, Joseph would ascend to prime minister in Egypt. God is at work fulfilling his promises when we don't know a single detail about it. So there's, there's weariness and there's heartache and there's heaviness in this passage. And yet ultimately this passage points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. That a, a, a king would come forth from Jacob who would be truly holy, righteous, full of mercy and grace. God in the flesh. God himself pitching his tent among us. And when he made his entrance into the world, where did he make his entrance into the world? A little bit south of where Rachel died. A little bit north of where Isaac died in the town of Bethlehem. It, 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 it's, it's interesting. Uh, the, the, the prophet Jeremiah captures the lament for God's people in Jeremiah 31 verse 15 where it says, thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. And, and Matthew picks up on that. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the true King of Israel and all the nations, comes into the world, born in Bethlehem. And Herod, representing the heart of sinful man, wants nothing to do with Jesus and has all the male children of Bethlehem put to death. And what does Matthew say? Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And I think what, what we need to see in Genesis chapter 35 is what the song that we're about to sing declares, which is that the hopes and fears of all the years converge in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hopes, the hopes of God's people getting to God's place under God's king so that they can worship him in spirit and truth and be cleansed of their idols and sins and have righteous garments to approach the throne of God. And all of that set side by side with the heartaches, the fears, the sorrows, the death. And by his death and resurrection, he brings new life, hope, and peace to the likes of us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we need this reminder that you are not ashamed to, to be our God, though we are beset with weaknesses and sins and fears. You are faithful. You are 
you, you're with us and you, you keep us. You sent the Lord Jesus to save us from our sins and to bring us into fellowship with you. And I pray that those would not just be words that we utter, <clears throat> but I pray that that would get down into our, our hearts and minds and the fiber of our being so that we would learn to, to walk with you and to feed on your faithfulness even through difficult days. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.